Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both in Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, guys, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special film, a a classic of cinema, and our first actual holiday film. Because, you know, for the month of December, we've been doing films mostly every week, but... None of them have been very holiday-centric, except this is the first one. And it's our oldest film on this podcast. Austin, what movie are we going to be talking about this week? This week, we are going to be talking about the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, from 1946, starring James Stewart, directed by Frank Capra. Yeah, this is a, this is an oldie but a goodie. This is back in the era where they used to talk like this. Mary, get on the telegram and let's send those troops <laughs> off to war. I love the the transatlantic accent. I do too. And how it was like created because of the limited technology they had to record voices, so they had to invent an accent. Wait, so wait, that is that why? Them. Yeah, you're kidding. No, I thought that was just how they t- spoke. No, nobody talks like that. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I guarantee you, if someone from that era was still alive now and they heard how the kids talk, like how the kids talk now, they'd be like, what's that? What's LOL? What's LOL? LMFAO? LMAO? You know, <laughs> they'd be confused. It's just the way we talk. It's the way we talk on, on the internet, but it's not the way we talk in real life. Or maybe it does kind of inform how we talk in real life. A little. I wonder how people... It's hard to say because the only recordings that we are like readily accessible of that era are from people on television and people on television learned how to talk like people on television. It's, it's weird. <laughs> no, it is weird, but I, I love that accent. I think it's so cool. Oh yes. It's a great accent. Yeah. So this is a holiday classic. Uh, I mean, I've only seen this once. I have never seen this movie. Okay. God damn it. Here we go again. Another one that I've seen kind of seen that you haven't. Ah. <sighs> I just, I want, I want to walk into the unknown, Austin, with you being my Sherpa. Okay. Well, next time. <laughs> next year. Next time. Yeah, but, next year. We'll have, oh my God, next year. We have a whole year to plan. Oh, we've got so many movies. We, oh, it's going to be great. I'm excited. Um, But yeah, I, I've only seen this movie once and I wouldn't even say I actually watched it because um, <laughs> oh, no. during the pandemic, the, the group of friends that I hang out with, we've been watching movies like we've been watching movies from our own respective computers, but kind of all syncing them at the same syncing up at the same time. So we are like watching a movie together. Mm-hmm. But there are some movies that will have a random wheel picker. So like everyone puts in a film and a generator ri- like randomly picks one and then we watch that movie. And there are yes. just some weeks where there are movies like I'm not really interested in this or I don't really think this is a ideal scenario to watch the movie in so i'll just kind of like have the movie on in my second monitor while i'm playing like Warzone. wow <laughs> and this is one of those terrible movies. friend hey uh, do they know this oh yeah they know 
Okay. I actually got caught because I wasn't going to tell them, but on Discord it says, Jorge Montoya is playing Warzone. And they're like, George, are you playing a video game? I was like, no, I'm not. And they were like, oh yes, you God. are. We could see it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay, fine. Worst. Yeah, I'm a terrible liar. But I don't know. There's just some movies were, you know, just having people talk over it or just like maybe the... the like the, Yeah, I hate that. The, the, the resolution on the... The, like the the internet stream isn't a hundred percent, so the picture's like pixelated. It's not ideal, um, especially if it's a movie that's like highly regarded. I don't want to see it in these less than ideal conditions. I'm already having to yeah. watch these movies in not as not in the ideal scenario. So, you know, I I remember I watched Akira, and the audio and the sound were out of sync the entire time. So, I'm just like, I'm not enjoying this at all. I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this movie. And then I watched it with them. I visited them and I visited them, saw it on their projector. And I loved Akira. I thought it was amazing. So I'm like, yeah, I, y- y- there are certain movies where you can talk to people where it's fun to kind of shit the, shoot the shit, you know, and kind of just have fun. And there are some movies where you want to concentrate. I wanted to concentrate with this movie, but it was less than ideal. So I'm like, I'll just wait until I watch this movie. And fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. That's why I don't do that. I don't like it. <laughs> no, no. And honestly, it makes a lot of sense. So that's why I say I didn't really watch this movie. I, I kind of know what happens and I paid attention mm-hmm. here and then like between yeah, I, like when I die. What and I'm I, assuming hmm? <laughs> like when you die, you're, you're like responding you're in the gulag. And you're like, oh, what's happening here? Ghost of Christmas past. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, that's my experience with the film, but you've never seen this, right? I've never seen this. I, I just have like a basic understanding that it is a Christmas carol, right? No, 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 no. I don't think so. No, 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 no. It's not? It's not a Christmas carol? Wait, it, well, because the Christmas carol is basically Miss Scrooge being shown the past, present, and the future through these three different ghosts and kind of showing, you know what a shit he is if he keeps his life going like why what made him like that and what happens if he continues this way of life i don't think that's because i don't think george played by james stewart or jimmy stewart is like that i think he's a all-around good guy i think maybe Hmm. some of the basic tenets of that movie basic principles of that movie might be like some spirit visits him on christmas and shows him hey this is what your life could be like yes or, or something right i do know that does that does happen like a spirit or a ghost kind of does say to him this is what's going to happen if you leave this town because i think mm. th- from what I, from what i remember the movie's about george uh george bailey and i guess he's been in his hometown and he tries to be a good samaritan tries to help out as many people as possible but there's a desire to want to leave and travel the world and stuff right but his hometown keeps pulling him back in. And I think mm. at one point in the film, a ghost or a spirit says like, this is what ha- this is what's going to happen to this town if you leave. And it's an awful scenario. It's kind of like Back to the Future too, almost. I don't know how similar it is to A Christmas Carol outside of the spirits thing. But yeah, I, that's what I basically... Sounds know. like a Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're going to see. We're going to compare and contrast. And I am excited to watch this movie just because you hear so much about it. I did enjoy what I saw. It's a classic. And something that I really like is as a kid, I didn't like watching black and white films because I thought, oh, they're old. They're shitty. But Mm -hmm. when you go back and you you get into it, like, yeah, you you know, they're just like 
they're movies. <laughs> they just look yeah. a little bit older, but these have the same capacity to get you involved, to really thrill you, to emotionally uh, impact you. One of my one of my favorite black and white films is uh, Twelve Angry Men. Love that movie. Mm. Uh, you've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, fantastic. I film. just know like what happens in it. I must have seen it. Mm-hmm. I think. I think I saw it in a uh, in a government class or something. Gotcha. Yeah, or I mean, I think learning about the the judicial process and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I grew up with mostly American cinema from like the seventies onwards especially films mm-hmm. from the present, like 2000s and stuff. And as I've learned more about movies, I've decided to expand my knowledge about them. So I've been watching older films. Uh, you know, there's like a list of films that I've decided I'm going to watch through these um, older American films and give them a chance and make make an opinion about them. And yeah. This is one of those movies. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I feel I'm I kind of in a similar boat with black and white movies. Like, I like some of them, but other ones I just see the like the hollywood censor the what do you call the them? haze rule the, the haze code the, the haze code i see that morality being pushed on an audience and i'm like this is really not okay i think in some cases it's worse than others so i i go into some black and white movies knowing that and then i see it and i'm like damn i wonder what this movie would have looked like without the haze code or without you know uh this like moral conservatism telling what what can and can't happen in a movie i guess in in some ways like i don't want the idea of this person doing awful things and for it to be like encouraged and like yes you sh- you can get away with this but i think as a storyteller you can kind of tell an audience this is a bad thing without having a bad thing have to happen to them do you know what i mean uh elaborate well like american psycho Right. He's not punished for his crimes. Mm -hmm. But as an audience, we still understand what he did was bad. Yes. Which is which is, I think, the the um, the most important thing. I think you can have you can have all this like crazy stuff happen in a movie, but still tell your audience, hey, the things that are happening are not good. I'm not telling you you should go out and do all these things and you can get away with it. Do you? Does that make sense? No, no, absolutely. Like, you, you, it's like, a, like a like a moral obligation, right? Like, if you have a movie where a person is uh, mass shooting people, causing just taking a bunch of lives, you don't want the film to like kind of give a thumbs up at the audience and like, hey, this is cool. Uh, if you're gonna show that, you know, you kind of have to show maybe some of the repercussions of those actions, or yeah, like it makes sense. You know, yeah, you, you don't necessarily have to have them be arrested and taken to jail and stuff, but you can tell the, tell the audience that this is bad without without that. Mm-hmm. So like may, maybe films in the past, you could see the Hayes Code and it kind of uh, models the morality, morality of the, some of these movies. Yeah. OK, it's it's interesting. Classic Hollywood is one of those industries it was it was a time when hollywood was very much concerned about creating big stars and and happy endings and stuff like that but you always had filmmakers come in and kind of challenge the audience every once in a while and oh it's always really interesting to see those cracks right i don't know if a wonderful mm-hmm. life is like that i don't know if this movie is like that but it is interesting to kind of examine hollywood uh through a past lens a lens where you had the haze code where they were a bit stricter you know i mean i don't think they ever had like sex scenes or they ever even showed people in the restrooms. It's a very different era. 
And it's almost like a time machine. You're going back and you're seeing kind of what was appropriate for audience to see back then. That's why I think it's really important to go back and see. Yes, I, I think it is important. Like I we should watch some of these older movies to see how far we've come and maybe to see how uh, filmmakers tried to get some of their stuff in there mm -hmm. despite having these uh, limitations Absolutely. in their craft. Yeah. And I and also to see kind of how maybe some of these portrayals influenced American society. Do you know what I mean? And kind of maybe how images of racism or sexism pushed by these films kind of made their way into the into the culture at the time and kind of how that influenced people in society as a whole. Because, I mean, movies are yeah. very influential. They are huge mm -hmm. pieces of influence. Same with music. People did not look the same way at sharks after Jaws. Yes. And that's a fucking shark. Now imagine actual people and different, yeah. different cultures, different countries. And, you know, it's it, it movies have an influence and movies have been used in very negative ways. That's why I think it's really important to go back and watch these films. And uh, look, and... <laughs> I don't think it's a wonderful <laughs> life. Does that? Uh, well, we'll see. But we'll, we'll see. <laughs> but we'll see. It is just something to keep in mind for when we watch films that are going to be that are going to be really old. Actually, this movie was released 1946. Release date December 20th, 1946, I believe is one of those. Really? I guess we could figure out like when exactly this movie came out and why there's discrepancy between if if we can find anything. Yeah, so... But if its movie came out December 20th, 1946, we're recording this part of the episode 75 years later. Yes. Well, that's... The 75th anniversary. Yeah, so this movie is celebrating its 75th anniversary. So either... So the, the two disputing dates are December 20th, the day of recording, or January 7th, which is uh, a few days into January of next year. But either way, this movie is celebrating a huge anniversary. 75th, that's... It's a great time to revisit this movie. 75 years ago. Where were you 75 yep. years ago, Austin? Uh, I was not on this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 75 years. That's older than my dad. I don't think anybody who was who has made this movie is alive today. I, I would think. No, I think they've all long gone. Um, so that's why it's always good to just talk about this stuff a little bit. You know, just to, hey, let's... Let's go back. Let's visit the past, but let's look at it from a modern lens and see mm -hmm. what can we get. Is it is it as good as people say it is? In our opinions, you know, how does the movie hold up actually? And some of the some of the morality, some of the ethics, the themes. Um, I imagine yeah. that this movie has aged well because it has remained a big cultural film, something that still is still played in movie theaters today. Movie theaters will yeah. have special screenings of this movie, so. You know, I, I guess it might hold up, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But if we go to the uh, highest grossing movies of 1946, It's a Wonderful Life is not there. In fact, what we were saying about racism and stuff, you can kind of see that at the <laughs> at the top of the list. Because the highest grossing movie of 1946 was Song of the South. <laughs> from the Walt Disney Company. God damn. The film the film that was recently taken down from Disney Plus. Or not recently, but this past year it was taken down on, I, from Disney Plus. Yeah, I don't even know if they ever released this movie in home video, did they? I don't know. They, I've they, never, they seen it. never did. I they never did. They never did. 
<laughs> oh, they never did? They never did. Yeah, because they knew. They knew what was up. They knew. But they 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 released part of it, though. They released Zippity Doo Da, Zippity Day. <laughs> I do love that song. I remember oh, I remember yeah. there was a um the Disney sing along. Yes. Oh I that's how I that's how I saw that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um I saw that there. Song of the South was number one. Number one. Number one movie of the year. Wow. All right. It it made like double the thing that came in second place. What was the second thing? Notorious. Oh the Hitchcock movie. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it, but I yeah, Hitchcock. Song of the South, very racist movie. Um, and I I do think that we should be able to see this movie in some way because we need to know just how racist people were back then. You know, basically the thing that I heard about the movie was that was the movie was kind of arg- it was trying to argue that slavery was oh. not that bad. Yeah, which... Uh... Which people have definitely tried to justify in the past. Which is something people are saying today. Yeah. So, and something that's going to be even harder to learn about with uh, critical race theory being banned in schools. There are kids today that are not going to learn about slavery. Yeah, that's wild, dude. That's insane. I mean, that just shows you where we're at, but. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I think movies like this, um, Gone with the Wind, Birth of a Nation. I mean, these movies still need to be available because we can't forget about this history. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is Mm -hmm. stuff that actually went through. And these portrayals are very important because, again, films are very influential. And if we just pretend like it didn't happen, you know, maybe the next generation of kids aren't going to know what Song of the South was. I, I, I barely knew, and the only reason I found of it was because of a uh, of a Disney kids bop. Um, but that's <laughs> yeah. the only way I know. But I've never seen it, and I can't. I don't know where I'm going to be able to find it. And the next generation might yeah. not even think about it. Disney might be like, "There's always a risk that Disney like, we never, we weren't racist. What, what are you saying? The mass yeah, isn't cause... racist. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. you you made this movie. It's not on Disney Plus." It's not in our catalog, so I I don't know what you're saying. There's the risk. There's the risk that can happen with that. And maybe it sounds hyperbole to some people. People have tried doing this shit before. There are there are people who are denying the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Like that shit happened not that long ago in the grand scheme of time, and people are denying it. So do you really think people are are gonna say that someone even Disney is capable of saying we we didn't do that? No, of course they are. At some point or another, I could totally see it happening. Yeah, it's it. I, I there are people like out there that probably don't know how racist this movie was because our only like knowledge of it is like that weird zippity doo dah song and Splash Mountain. Yeah, and so that, now people are upset that they're changing Splash Mountain. That song fucking bops, and the fact that like we're humming it, but it's like, oh, ooh, I didn't know that was about it. Yeah, so I think and that's why it's important to talk about these things. It's important to go back and visit them. We are not revisiting those films, not yet at least. But it's good to, you know, keep put, even put these movies like It's a Wonderful Life under a microscope and see does this movie deserve all the credit that it is? This movie has very good ratings. It has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an 89% on Metacritic. It's a Christmas classic. So let's put it under a microscope. Let's test it out. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. 
All right, so number one was Song of the South, two, Notorious, three, The Best Years of Our Lives. Oh, I remember that one. I love that movie. Never seen it. Number four, Duel in the Skies. Mm. Number five, The Jolson Story. The You know the first talking movie was uh, the, the Jazz, jazz singer? singer? Yeah. And Al Jolson plays a jazz singer. Oh, that's him? Who, yeah, who's in blackface. Yes. <laughs> You can't escape it. The man, movies are kind of racist. Have very racist history. Oh, they they absolutely do. They absolutely do. <laughs> Number six, blue skies. Number seven, the postman always rings twice. Number eight, Gilda. Oh. Number nine, Margie. And ten was night and day. Night and day. All right. Yeah. Uh, this, like we said earlier, this movie was not in the top ten. It was a financial bomb. This movie, wow. this movie was a bomb. It did not make money at all. In fact, there are... Uh, so it says here that the film made between 3.3 million and 6.1 internationally worldwide. So this movie is just not, not a success. Movies are not supposed to make that. It was a huge letdown. Something... I think they said that it was because of the war. The end of the world. Uh, 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 the end of the war. World War Two, mm-hmm. and I think maybe audiences want to didn't didn't want to sit through this kind of story. I mean, I don't know. It's tough to say, but I'm I'm a, cu- a little curious to see why. But it could be something we do some a little bit of research on. Maybe why this movie didn't do so well. Yeah, and kind of some of the consequences of that. Yeah, I think that movies back then, like if your movie didn't do well, I think the consequences for you were a lot uh, stronger. A lot more harsh than they were for you nowadays. Well, the industry I as think. a whole was just way harsher back then. I mean, you're talking about how they treated actors and actresses. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, it's crazy, man. Hollywood's been around for a long time yeah, and the abuse feel, has not has not stopped. Mm-hmm. So I feel so bad for Judy Garland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, we talked about Albert Hitchcock. He has a huge history of abusing his lead actresses. Um, yeah. So it, it's tough. There's, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of nasty history in in Hollywood, and I'm really I'm really uh, interested to go back and maybe maybe see some of it through the lens of It's a Wonderful Life. I'm curious, but yeah, uh, I think for the next part, I'm definitely curious to see how well this movie holds up and kind of what. Why was this movie a, a letdown? Why was it a box office bomb? And kind of what came after for the actors and the director? Were they punished for it? Slap on the wrist? Or was mm-hmm. it a bit harsher? And, you know, what came from it? Yeah. This movie is on Tubi. T-U-B-I. For free. Uh, it's also on Peacock. For free. And it seems like it's on Amazon Prime. If you have a Prime subscription, you can watch it for free, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, you can always rent it from Apple TV and YouTube and Vudu and Google Play Movies and TV. So I think that's all we have for now, right? Well, we're going to be watching this movie and we'll come back with our thoughts. Austin, take it away. We will see you in one minute. Well, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. What is it you want, Mary? You, you want the moon? 
Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Welcome home, Mr. Bailey. Sentimental hogwash. I wish I had a million dollars. Mr. and Mrs. Martini, welcome home. This is what I wished for. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. We just finished watching It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra, starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Yeah, pretty, pretty interesting watch. Okay, first off, just where can we find? Oh, we already talked about that, right? Yeah, it's on Amazon and it used to be in public domain so you could watch it for free. I think you can still watch it on um, Tubi. For free. Yeah, well. I'm sure there's still ways accessible to watch this movie for free. That's kind of one of the biggest appeals about this movie is that you could watch it for free in a lot of places. <laughs> if you have it at yeah. Amaz- if you have an Amazon Prime account, you could watch it through there, but I'm sure there are different ways. And they're always playing it on TV. That's actually a thing. Um that's it's kind of it's kind of why the movie is so popular, is because it was available for free without any copyright, with like for very yeah. cheap. Uh, it was in public domain, which means you can broadcast it on your TV without having to pay a bunch of residuals f- to everybody that that made the movie. Yeah, basically from the 70s and 80s, that's where they really started broadcasting it. Amazon Prime actually has two versions of it, has the black and white version and the color version. Which version did you watch? I watched the black and white version because that's, yeah, that I feel like it was intended to be black and white. And the colorized version is like, let's get people to buy this movie again. What can we do? Let's add well, color. I mean, and the shots of color look really weird. I, okay, so I didn't watch some. I haven't seen the movie in color. I skimmed through it though. It actually kind of makes me want to watch the movie again through color. Um, color is really important. Mm-hmm. It could add a lot of texture, a lot of life to a frame, and I don't think it's needed for every single black and white film. And in the end of the day, I still think people should watch "It's a Wonderful Life" in black and white as the film was shot. But there is something really cool about taking in a black and white image and adding color to it. I know that on Instagram, there's like a bunch of some photographers have like colorized black and white pictures from like from World War One, you know, um, World War Two or World War Two. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty interesting. Like they're not they're not substitutes for the actual original image, but they are kind of supplementary. Right. To it. it is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's like a cool little thing, but I don't know. As I've seen clips of this movie in color, and I'm like, eh, I don't. I no, don't no, like fair this. enough, fair enough. I get in the end of the day, it is still kind of a weird experiment. It's just one that I kind of want to see, but in the end of the day, I still think I would prefer the black and white one. This is kind of like the um, the Lord of the Rings extended edition, right? Like you have the theatrical, and then the extended. <laughs> you have the color, and then the black and white one. Yeah, because it's a, how do we re-release this movie uh, and get people to buy it again? Let's add something to it that was never a part of the initial Absolutely. vision. And I mean, we, I mean, <laughs> the strategy has worked because it's the film, the oh, film yes. is celebrating its 75th anniversary. 
it's still in the public knowledge. You know, people still reference this movie. This movie mm-hmm. still plays on TV. So whatever Paramount's doing, it's working. So I actually looked it up. The film was actually debuted on December 20th of 1946. It was pushed there in, in order to kind of become a contender for the next year's Oscars, for that year's Oscars, right, in 1947. But the film was released widely on January 7th, 1947. So you gave some people a Christmas movie and everybody else is like, why is this Christmas movie coming out yeah. so late? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, uh, just first impressions. Uh, what did you think, Austin? I really like this movie, but there's a lot of stuff that I don't think holds up very well, particularly particularly when you get into the production side of it. But on on the whole, I, I thought it was really good. I thought the ending was, was pretty moving, um, despite me having issues with the movie. I still thought it was really good. Oh, I'm kind of on the same boat as you. There are some things that haven't aged pretty well, and we'll talk about that. But as a whole... Uh, from like a gut instinct, gut feeling perspective. Yeah, the movie's great. Um, I choked up at the end. Yeah, I think it really deserved, it really earns that like sentimental ending. Yeah, the movie spends a large time just beating the shit out of George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart. I mean, it does. You, you can't put you can't yeah. put it any other way. Mm-hmm. Like the movie beats the shit out of him constantly. And I mean, he snaps at the end. And I, I, I believed it. You know, I've snapped like that over yeah. lesser shit. And yeah. And man, that last part of the film, you know, it's it really chokes you up. And I know some critics said, how realistic is that? It's too sentimental. And I'm like, yeah, it's a movie, though. You know, it, it's a Hollywood movie, like from the golden age of Hollywood. Like if there was ever a time for this movie to come out, it was then. You know, I don't know if you could release this movie today and if it would be met with the same if it would have as lasting of a legacy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it probably might not. not. If, oh, It's a Wonderful Life came out today, 70 years from now, would people still be talking about it? I don't know. Now, granted, some of that has to do with the distribution of the film, but it might not have the same legacy. I mean, the reason that it is such a popular Christmas movie is because it was free on public domain and they would just put it on TV and put it on TV and put it on TV because it was a movie with Jim Jimmy Stewart, you know, something to put on TV. And I don't think people watch TV like that anymore. Now we have all these other things to entertain ourselves. But, but back then it was just, what's on TV? This movie. Okay. Hey, this is actually, this movie's actually really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Whereas now you can go on YouTube and watch, watch stuff. You can lose hours of your day on TikTok. You can uh, go on Netflix and binge whatever's on there. Like, I don't think the, the, Making movies now, it's it's so different from before. Well, viewing movies is a totally different experience. I mean, I, th- I still think people gravitate a lot towards TV. But the thing is, there's so many options. There, there's, I mean, how many yeah. streaming services are there? And each streaming service has hours, hundreds of hours of content that you could watch of movies, TV, and content just in general. All sorts of it, too. I mean, you're talking about feature-length movie. You're talking about feature animated films. You're talking about short films, short animated reality tv shows you have documentaries of all sorts of on every single topic i mean there's so much competition now for people's eyes back then i don't know how many channels they had but i don't think it was that many i don't i think it was less than three digits <laughs> and i'd say even it was less than two <laughs> yeah, less than two digits probably and definitely I mean, and there weren't we weren't making movies as like the rate that we're making movies and tv shows now is 
obscene compared to how movies were made back then. Yeah, movies would stay in theaters for so long. Obscene. Yeah, and there weren't that many movies coming out, but now there's so many things coming out. So the idea of a movie becoming popular because a bunch of different stations put it on TV is is just not a part of our world anymore. And the thing is, too, something you have to consider is in the 70s, 80s, they really, that's when the the It's a Wonderful Life boom really started kicking in because they play it every year. You know, it, it became like a tradition. Yeah, it's like a Christmas song. Exactly. It's like Mariah Carey's uh, Christmas song. What's it called? <laughs> not last. All I want for Christmas that's... is you. Exactly. <laughs> we don't really listen to that song outside of the Christmas time. But in Christmas, everyone starts playing it. That's kind of like what this movie mm-hmm. is. And this movie yeah. would play every year. And because it's such a great movie, people would like, yeah, why won't I watch this? I mean, VHS, no, VHS was a, no, it wasn't a thing in, in the 70s. No, it was it was because of TV yeah. put, putting it on during Christmas time. Exactly. So it's a great movie. Would it have lasted as long as it did without the television schedule it had? Probably not. But I mean, thank God for TV. So yeah, that's, it's part of history. It is. Uh do we want to give a quick summary for the people who haven't seen it? A it's quick wonderful? summary of the people who haven't seen. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. But, okay. Um, I, I, do you want me to try to do a quick summary? Yeah, you just go for it. I will say, if you guys haven't seen this movie, go check it out. It's it's very it's very sentimental. It's cute, wonderful to watch. Um, we don't want to spoil it for you. Just go ahead, check it out. But that that's All my right, recommendation. So- we, I, it sounds like Austin <laughs> and I both recommend this film. Yes. Okay. So the movie starts with people praying for for George Bailey. George, God, can you please help George Bailey? He's in a bit of a pickle right now. And then uh, we see stars talking to each other. Uh, I'm assuming they are angels, and they're like, "We need to. Hey, hey, Clarence, you need to earn your wings. Uh, you need to go help George Bailey. But before you go help George Bailey, let's let you learn about George Bailey." And it goes into this flashback of this kid, George, going down a shovel into into the uh, frozen lake. And he's like, come on, little brother, let's go. And then the little brother does it, but he falls in the hole in the frozen lake. And George has to go in and save him. And be- because of that, he got like a really bad cold. He got sick and he loses hearing out of one of his ears. And then uh, George goes to work because, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's supposed to be like the 1910s or something at this point. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a 12-year-old and he goes to work because that's what 12-year-olds did back then. <laughs> and he, you meet this girl, Violet, who has a crush on him. But she has a crush on everybody, according to Mary, uh, who's also there. And she has a crush on George. And she's the one that ends up like being with him. George notices that his employer, Mr. Gower, has just got news that his son died. And... Mr. Gower is like super upset and he's like mixing up prescriptions. He puts poison in, in the medicine. He sends George to go out to deliver it. But George knows that that it's wrong. Um, so he doesn't deliver it. And then Mr. Gower finds out that George didn't deliver it and he starts beating the shit out of him. And then George is like, no, I know that you made a mistake, but it's OK. I won't tell anybody. And then Mr. Gower's like, oh, oh I'm so sad. I'm so sorry, George. You're a good boy. Um, so fa- flash forward. George's dad works for this building and loans uh, company that gives loans to people when the banks won't, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and will build houses for cheap for the people of the the town to live in. And George wants to go and travel. He wants to be an explorer. And his dad, uh, has he dies of a stroke. So George feels like he has to take up 
the family business and he he takes over for the family business and he plans on giving it to his brother when his brother comes back from college but his brother has like a better job opportunity and george is like well i guess i'll stay in town for a little bit longer to take over the family business because there's this like evil like scrooge type character called mr potter who is trying to buy everything and own the town and he's just greedy and awful the war happens. Oh, there's a dance with Mary first. He he gets in contact with his childhood crush, Mary, and they dance and they do this thing about lassoing the moon. And then the war happens. He comes back from the war and I, th I think he has another opportunity to like join a, another business or something. Yeah, but... yeah, his childhood friend is like starting up a business, turning like something into plastic really huge upside but george doesn't want to leave the yeah because the, the family business right um and then it gets close to christmas time and his uncle who's in charge of like depositing the money in, in the bank he gloats to the evil mr potter like hey look George's brother's getting uh, awarded by the president. He got to meet the president. He's getting the Purple Heart or, or some kind of award. And he's like, see, the Bailey boys can't keep the Bailey boys down. And then he leaves the, the money with the bad guy on accident and then forgets about it. $8,000, which translates approximately to $150,000 of today's money. A lot of money that he just lost. By the way, they never find this money. So Potter when Peter it. finds out, when Peter finds out that the money's gone, he's like, oh, I'm going to go to jail and I don't want to go to jail. I've been I've been doing the right thing all my life. Wait, Peter and uh, George. I'm mean. oh, sorry. George. George is like, I've been doing the right thing all my life. Why is this happening now? I have an insurance policy for fifteen thousand dollars. If I kill myself, we'll get we'll get the money and no one will have to go to jail or, or whatever. And my life would be better if I didn't exist anyway. So then this angel comes down and he shows him what his life would look like with if he wasn't there. They go to the town. The, uh, what's the name of the town? Uh, Bedford Falls. Bedford Falls is now renamed to Pottersville. And instead of all these like mom and pop shops, there's a bunch of nightclubs. And his wife, uh, Mary, she's now a, a spinster an old maid who's never married and she works at a library and George is like, or George is like, hell no, I need to go back to my life. <laughs> uh, so the angel reverses the spell or miracle or whatever. And then George is, is back and he's like, Oh, thank God I'm back. I, I am going to go to jail now, but it's okay because I love my life. And then the people of the town or Mary had like talked to all the people of the town, all the people that George has helped and they all raise money to like, pay off the $8,000 that's missing. So nobody goes to jail. Everybody's happy except for Parter. That's it. It's a cute movie. It's a cute movie. It's very straightforward. I don't always understand some of the legalities behind the the, bus the, the business and loan, the, the shop that George runs. Um, what's it? The, the building and loan. I don't always understand. Yeah. I've never understood that stuff really well, like mortgages and all that house stuff. I... I don't totally get it, but the movie makes it pretty simple to understand where you know that when he loses, when Uncle Bill loses those $8,000, they're fucked. Like, yes, like George starts losing his shit. Like he's a pretty 
mild guy. You'll see his frustrations every now and then, but he starts slowly losing it. Listen to me. Thank I can't think anymore, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? You realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Hello, Mrs. Welsh. This is George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? George. Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, to have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people, that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's... And he starts yelling at his kids and his wife, and he, he really considers killing himself. And honestly, I, I was thinking if I was in those shoes, I would have done it. Like, 15000 Like, that would cover everything and that leave his wife with seven thousand it's like yeah but you, you if you kill yourself you invalidate in your insurance policy so they wouldn't have gotten the money no it would have been like oh he slipped and fell and died you know and, well also i have a beef with that with that suicide scene because <laughs> so he's on the bridge he's about to jump i.e commit suicide but the fall wouldn't have been enough to kill him Clarence jumps from a higher, from a higher, uh, and it nothing happens to him. Clarence is an angel, so you know, but but he... then but then George jumps in from that same height, and he mm-hmm. he's fine. Nothing happens to him. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was that was just. I didn't like that part. I to be honest, I hated all the angel stuff. I didn't like it at all. Really, I was like, this is this is kind of dumb. This movie's losing me here. The angel stuff in the beginning as well. Uh, the angel stuff in the beginning is like is okay, I guess, because it's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. You just see like these stars like flashing, and that's supposed to be them talking to each other. And then Clarence Angel comes in, and like his it it looks funny because his star like moves in, and it's like smaller than the other ones. And he's like, "Yes, sir, right away, sir. I'll do it. I'll I'll get on it, sir." It's it's funny. Oh, it is but funny yeah. when. And that's that's how we like go through George's life. That's how we see him as a kid and as a young man and as a hopeful, ambitious young man. Um, it's it's fine. But when the angel appears in the story, it's really frustrating because the angel jumps into the water, forcing George to like jump in and save him. But like the last time he did that, he lost his hearing in one ear. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty that's a very dangerous thing to ask this man to do to get him to like, to get his attention, I guess. Yeah. I just, it's very like dramatic and and like, okay, all right, let's, let's get the ball rolling. Let's, let's go on. Let's get to like the Christmas carolly part of the story. Yeah. I just thought it was silly. Cause it was, I, I, that's a good point. I thought it was silly. Cause it's like, well, in the end, he's still jumping the bridge. The belief is if he jumps the bridge, he's committing suicide. Cause the fault, will kill him but then he has to jump into the water and then you see oh nothing happens. he has to, to drown yeah like, he has to drown and like purposely drowning is yeah i i don't okay i don't buy that but it, i mean it's a it's stupid but you know it it keeps the ball moving to the christmas christmas carol part which is what would have happened if he had never been born overall though i i do like the movie um there's it's really cute and it's fun and 
like from well from the beginning, I love the angel stuff because it's the framing device, right? We're seeing mm-hmm. George's life through the angels, right? And we kind of see we see the moments we see the moments that are relevant, right? Because the angel Clarence is on a mission; he needs to prevent George from ki- committing suicide. So they kind of have to watch the big important parts of George's lives, like when he loses the he loses the ability to hear in one ear, kind of his uh, one of his early scenes with Mary with Mr. Gower as well, which plays into later on. So it's a, it's like a pretty interesting framing device. You're seeing like what you're supposed to be seeing. And the explanation through that is we're seeing it through the angels point of view, which I also kind of like because I do like having the angels play a bigger part at the end, right? Like when they, uh, when Clarence is like, Oh, you're about to see what happens if you've never lived. And then the door opens and like the gust of wind is like blowing in, you know, and then he closes he closes the door. Normally in other films, that's played like very ambiguously, like, oh, it's supposed to symbolize God or something, you know, or like something's changed. Uh, but here it's caused by the other angels and even Clarence acknowledges it. I thought that was cute. I think it's I think that's fine. It made things feel a little bit more lighthearted again after the downer that was like the, the previous like 10 15 minutes of just George thinking he's gonna go to prison. He's botched his whole family business and he's about to kill himself. I was like, okay, that that's kind of a downer. I, I think it's it's frustrating for me because if, if these angels have all this power, like why couldn't they have saved the $8,000 from falling into the wrong hands? Something a little, right? <laughs> it is I mean, one of like, the, yeah. it's, 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 you have to like, the character has to learn, like George has to learn the lesson, right? So it's, it's his moment. But at the same time, I'm like, why can't you tell him where the $8,000 is? <laughs> I guess. I mean, at, I, I think it goes to what you said, though. He has to learn his own worth because I think yes. he's been, I mean, it seems like George throughout the film is like slowly just kind of giving in right to this like long-term mm-hmm. depression um yes which and it, it ultimately culminated you know if they had it the angels had you know found the eight thousand dollars and given it to them one we wouldn't have a movie <laughs> and two right yes and, yes and two, of course of course of course and two george george would not learn the extent or to the extent that of what he has achieved you know that his sacrifices mm-hmm. All of these years, decades were worth it um, to preserve this town, to help the people of Bedford Falls. Um, The thing is also the idea of you shouldn't um, kill yourself because everyone else would would be more miserable. mm -hmm. I don't think that that is like good advice, like solid, modern, um, therapeutic advice do you know what i mean kind of like you should like things can be so much worse but the thing is things are a lot worse for other people mm-hmm. so like what do you say to them yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could do you be just, worse do you just keep you saying know? well it's worse for other people yeah and the the things that he sees some of it is not really that bad like uh bedford falls kind of a boring town and then when george doesn't exist it has a nightlife and this is like awful this is terrible. This is, he starts screaming when he sees all these all these nightclubs and stuff. <laughs> Just like, okay, th- it's that that old um, sense of morality from the early early forties or mid forties. 
No, not you know, not even that Hollywood. though. It, pff, no, not even that. It's from the '80s as well. I mean, Back to the Future Two did it. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't it. Wasn't Back to the Future part of it was set in the '50s? But well, it, it, yeah, it, I guess the principle, huh? The, the principle that he goes and like the installation of Biff's casino in the second part create like invites bikers and gangsters and stuff. It oh, becomes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean. I do. It's funny because I did think about that too. Because part of it, that that's the that's the thing about this movie. So its morality is founded very much in like forties and fifties beliefs, right? Like the yeah. nuclear family, the the affordable job for everyone. Like racism isn't a thing, you know. Um, like <laughs> sexism isn't a thing, right? But you know, as we've learned, that wasn't the case, and this morality can be very flawed. I kind of stand. On two ends. Number one, I think the inclusion of nightlife is is it's, it's good for a city. Like I think, you know, different businesses you offer different services. Just a well-rounded community. The problem that I wish they had explored was the fact that all the affordable houses that Bailey had built for people to escape poverty were all gone. That was yes. a cemetery, and the people were still in poverty. And all that mm-hmm. money and all that uh, all their the bills and stuff were going to Potter. He was profiting off of people's poverty. <laughs> what is that, Gettys? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Probably... Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You you said that they... What did you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait? Wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I... You're the you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. And and that's the shitty part. That's the part where I'm like, yeah, no, 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 fuck that. Like George and the building and loan took people out of poverty. You, you see multiple situations, like the Martini family. Uh, uh, you know, people are able to pay back loans, low interest loans. I think the building and loan is working at a, at a deficit. Um, I think yeah. I think it was hinted that the government kind of supplies some money to them. Or I, that's where I'm get confused. 
But I mean, I'm I'm not sure if that would have been in uh, Frank Capra's uh, vision of, of the movie that the government is helping. Well, it, <laughs> it's 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 tough to see how how the actual business works. I mean, maybe someone who's in finance, housing can explain it better than I can. But the impression that I got was that George isn't doing this for profit. He's not profiteering like what's his name? Um, Potter. Potter, who in the alternate universe is has corrupted quote unquote the the city by adding the nightlife but is literally sucking the life out of the poor Um, yes he he owns a bunch of apartment complexes and he's like making people rent them out because they can't afford to live anywhere else unless they take out the loan and are able to buy a house and escape that his uh his slums which i i think it's very relatable too till now yeah right now Super hard to buy a house. Oh my god! Sure, wish I could find a Bailey's, uh, <laughs> a building and loans. I was gonna say I was. It's totally relevant to today. I mean, even maybe a form of gentrification. Uh, not not exactly one for one, but I mean, you kind of create new businesses, outlets, and stuff, and then you kind of push people of my of uh for minority groups kind of out to bring in the white money, white wealth, um, younger younger generations. I'm, it's not one for one, but there there is this sense of pushing poor people out or keeping them where they belong, which is below the line. Yes, and uh, because more because wealthier people are going to bring in more money, they're going to buy and shop more. Uh, that's going to stimulate the economy, but not take it, not put it back into the community, uh, into schools, services, social work services, uh, libraries. It's not going to. I don't know. It doesn't get the impression that it's going to go into the back into the city. It goes into people's like Potter's pockets. Um, exactly. And yeah. I, like you said, I mean, there are so many friends that I know have bought houses, buying houses, and they're like, hey, we're going to be in debt for a long time. And they have to go outside of Los Angeles to do that. And they're mm-hmm. going out of state. It's like, it's insane. You can't. It's very hard to buy a house here. And at the end of the day, I can't help but think of people like potter who don't have rent controlled apartments as well and who are it's funny because in in california there was a, a bill i think on one of the last uh waves of uh what do you call them elections props uh, it was, yeah it was it was on there about uh putting rent control on on these properties right so mm. to prevent rent from going up too high but somehow uh the land uh, the landlords convince everybody that oh this is bad you want your rent to go up propaganda so dude they turned it down <laughs> yeah th- i mean they, they, no it they, that's what it is they use commercials and ads and stuff to convince people that rent control was bad having so having them vote against their interests that's that's the fucked up part and mm-hmm. you know when when george bailey in that alternate universe kind of hears about people staying in poverty like martini uh, or other families it's like like that shit is still happening, except we lived in the yeah. reality where Potter, where George wasn't born, right? And people yeah. like Potter are getting away with it. And Potter's a piece of shit, dude. Fuck that, dude. Oh yeah, he's awful. Yeah, the world would be he's better awful. if he did die. But I'm not crying, Mister Potter. Well, you're begging. That's a whole lot of words. Well, all I'm asking for is thirty days more. Huh? Just a minute, son. Just thirty short days. I'll dig up that five thousand somehow. Shut me up. Shut me up. Huh? Did you minute. put any real pressure on these people of yours to pay those mortgages? Times are bad, Mister Potter. A lot of these people are out of work. But foreclosed. I can't do that. These families have children. Huh? <laughs> not my children. But they're somebody's children, Mister Potter. 
Are you running a business or a charity war? Well, all right. Not with my money. Mr. Potter, what makes you such a hard skulled character? You have no family, no children. You can't begin to spend all the money you've got. Oh, I suppose I should give it to miserable failures like you and that idiot brother of yours to spend for me. <laughs> like, that's a baby Hitler, Hitler situation where it's like, fuck that dude. <laughs> I mean, he's you know, Hitler's the worst, but Potter's pretty bad. Oh, yeah, he's he's terrible. He's awful. Yeah, he. But people like him exist. Yeah, absolutely. I think some some people were complaining that oh, he's such a Scrooge uh, caricature. Like this guy's like too evil. But like, um, are you are you are you joking? This guy's real. This guy exists. Yeah, <laughs> and and on different levels. Like potters exist at every economic level. Even there are even poor potters. People who are poor but who exploit other poor people just to keep them at just to keep themselves above them slightly. And you have middle class and high class. And then you have these billionaires that are just constantly exploiting people and different countries, laws and tax rules. It's oh, come on, man. Like, yeah, this movie, it, it, <laughs> we'll talk about it, but the FBI actually saw this and they were concerned. <laughs> I, did you read about it? I did see that, yeah. Okay. I well, you know, um, we could talk about it right now since it's just since it seems like we're talking about it a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's interesting once you once you read that like cuz I was thinking that at the same time I'm like, man, they're really they're really showing uh the 1940s post-war audience how evil capitalism can be. Yeah. And it it raised concern with the Federal Bureau of Investigations. <laughs> they thought this movie was too communist. God damn, dude. I, th <laughs> what was it with America being scared of commies? That was like that was like their boogeyman. They were yeah, communism is the boogeyman. God damn. They they wrote a whole thing. At the end, too, I was like, yeah, they're they're literally distributing the wealth of the people right now. They're they're uh because all the money that that covers the eight thousand dollars that Bailey's company doesn't have is literally from the people. The people come together and share their wealth to cover this cost so that Bailey can stay in business and so that he can have like a nice holiday too. They they more than cover it. Yeah, and the only reason they do it is because he's been treating them well. He's helped the community out, the city of Bedford Falls, and somehow the FBI perceived this. And they were like, oh, no, this is bad. This is Communist 101. <laughs> and what disturbed them was the fact that, what's his fuck face name? Potter was portrayed yeah. as a villain. That the rich guy who was just trying to run his business, trying to help out the bank, was portrayed <laughs> as a bad guy. Even though the irony is he steals the 8000 from fucking George. Yeah. He steals the money and he never gives it back. Never. Fucking... <laughs> Flew over their heads. Just if you needed another reason to dislike the FBI, here you go. The <laughs> FBI has done so many shitty things in the past. Add this to the list. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. I read that and I was... Because, I mean, look. It's funny because, you know, the commies, the Red Scare. That seems like so long ago. And yet you forget all the shitty Dude, things that they're people... They're still doing that. They're still doing... Like, commie... Commie is still a, a, like an insult in the States. Yeah. I think even uh, Ryan Reynolds had a commercial for Aviation Gin saying, if you don't buy this gin, you're a commie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a weird way, we've kind of seen that still happen in modern politics. I mean, what's socialism? 
right? Mm-hmm. I goddamn don't. I, I don't want to go to Arizona and even say socialism because I feel like I just might get <laughs> shot down. Just you like, might. like Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> but like, but 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 that's what it is, though. I mean, you can't even have a discussion about that because people immediately think, oh, you're socialist. You're a, you're a liberal snowtard. You're from Europe. <laughs> uh some some shit like that right i mean am i exaggerating i don't feel like i am no you're not even exaggerating there there might be people listening to this podcast right now that are like these guys are communist sympathizers and they might never <laughs> listen to us again <laughs> which that's like look i i'm not i'm not trying to instigate anything i'm not trying to get people upset but it's true though <laughs> like it's funny because this movie came out 75 years ago, and that's when the Red Scare was happening. And 75 years later, it's just kind of, it's just, we're dealing with the same shit. Granted, not to the same extent, very different, but same thing. I mean, I mean, they were way worse back in the day. I mean, they especially during the Cold War. During the Cold War, yeah, you were... Well, like, uh, it was it was a, a, a movement in Hollywood, right? Like, the... the ha- the government opened up the House of Un-American Activities, mm-hmm. which which was, I don't know if listeners are familiar with this, but there was a process where they would bring in screenwriters who they suspected of being communist sympathizers or being members of the Communist Party. And they were, they wanted people to name names. Who's Who else has these communist pamphlets? And they would like go through Hollywood and like blacklist people who they thought were too... Uh, far left leaning and i think some of the screenwriters that worked on this movie were blacklisted i, I believe trumbo i think there was a movie yeah that with Brian came out about him yeah i think he worked on one of the drafts of this film and he was blacklisted. One of the, the screenplays yeah he was blacklisted michael wilson who also worked on the planet of the apes movie also did some uncredited work on this one I believe he was blacklisted as well. Jesus Christ. Imagine just being fired because your movie might have a hint of this political ideal that is not the basis for this country. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. Come on, guys. Ugh. I mean, yeah, it's I read that and I just lost my shit. I thought it was hilarious. Um, it, it is ironic because uh the director frank capra is like a pretty um he's very pro uh free market very pro he made a lot of like propaganda i I Mm -hmm. think during world war ii very republican this guy Mm -hmm. and yet he made this movie that's pretty fucking commie well I don't know if it's it's like communism, no, it's but it's not. definitely like anti-capitalist. I think there there are uh, anti-capitalist ideals running through this movie. I mean, Potter yeah. is never really portrayed as someone sympathetic. He, I mean, he's kind of an asshole from the beginning. Even right after George Bailey's father dies, he's like, "I move to uh, dissolve this group." Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and and he's and again he steals the money. They don't get the like you he said. They don't get the eight thousand back. He keeps that shit, so he's even wealthier now. Which eight thousand like, pocket change for him? Yeah, but that eight eight thousand back then is like uh, over a hundred thousand. So imagine you just take a hundred thousand from someone, and he doesn't it, even need it. It is chump change for him, but it. he still keeps he's, it. He's doing it because he wants to own the town. He wants to put them out of business. Yes. When, you, when you're that like, it's what uh, 
what businesses now do, like what Walmart used to do is they would like open up department stores, their, their stores in small towns next to like general stores that are independently owned. And they, there's no way those stores can compete with Walmart's low prices. Yeah. So they get put out of business and then Walmart can do whatever they want. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Walmart. I mean, coffee shops. I mean, there's a Starbucks yeah. in every it feels like in every corner. How many other coffee shops had to go out of business? I mean, there are some right now, but I mean, everyone and their mother has at least bought from Starbucks at least one point in their life. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that's a pretty big fucking number. If you think about yeah, it, yeah, like movie studios too, acquiring different smaller studios. Pretty soon, there's only going to be like five. Yeah, it seems. Like. Well, it's we're going back. We're reversing back to the era where there were only five. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, video game studios do this all the time. They'll acquire mm -hmm. like a small indie studio, absorb them into their larger film of uh, the video game company, like EA and stuff. And then either yeah. eventually they will stay with the company or they'll be shut down. How many stories have I heard about video games company going under? Because after they were bought after by like EA or Activision. And, yeah. and it's like these big companies are buying up little studios just to keep working on more Call of Duty. Oh, you got the, mm -hmm. the you got the developers of this cool indie game that was really innovative. Oh, guess what? They're making another Call of Duty. Fuck, re <laughs> really? Jesus Christ! Yeah. I love I like Call of Duty like everyone else. I want some variety. Fuck me. And the other like really evil thing about Potter is that he has so much money that the Great Depression doesn't affect him. He bails the bank out. He's he's able to bail the banks out, but he's able to acquire even more. So he sees he sees the Great Depression as a moment of great opportunity. Yeah. To, to own everything. <sighs> and you saw some people do that when the pandemic hit, didn't you? Oh, we're still <laughs> seeing it now. Um I've read about the uh about what's happening in Long Beach with the uh with the uh container units and all the ships. There have been mm -hmm. multiple articles that have talked about how we could end this because this whole shipping containment is causing a lot of businesses to kind of not be able to have enough re enough products to sell to people so they'll have to increase the prices right to kind of uh lower demand i i, mm -hmm. I guess I, I don't know i might be really bad with economics but um if they're like if you really want this you'll have to pay the pay this uh people have gone on to say that there are ways for this to end, but shipping companies and, and companies don't want to do that because they're making more money now than ever because yeah. <laughs> prices are, are inflated. Mm -hmm. So what the fuck? Like, come on, people. Come on, FBI. They, they saw <laughs> Potter and they were like, no, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah. big, big rich people taking advantage of poor people. That's been happening for a long time and it's still happening now. And it's one of the subplots of this movie. It's one of the big plots. It's what eventually has almost George kill himself, which it's a sad truth. But how many people have killed themselves because of some of the financial difficulties that they have faced? Yeah, that that's real. And mm -hmm. I bet they didn't have angels like Clarence come down and help them. See, that's that's why I think that the angel stuff bothers me so much is because He's taken to like this like weird parallel universe that's not real. You know, everything else before it was just so relatable. Like the idea of, of this guy with all these hopes and dreams and having to stay in this town and carrying the burden of like, I have to do this because if I don't, things will be so much worse for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like being so selfless and everything. 
and having to put your dreams on hold for seemingly like indefinitely, right? That's that feels really relatable. But then you get this this Clarence character who's an angel with no wings. It, it's like, oh my god, I, this is not. <laughs> it, it, it does. It does. I will say. Not so much to the detriment, but it does have a tonal shift when it brings in Clarence. The movie almost like pauses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like up until that point, the pacing is pretty good and stuff, but the movie pauses and it becomes a Christmas carol. And I wouldn't say it's a bad thing, but it's a thing. Do you know what I mean? I don't mind <laughs> it, but it but it is a thing. You feel the shift in tone and it does throw you for a little loop. And it almost like the mm-hmm. movie does pause. And they do that yeah. they do that shtick where it's like, you know, Clarence is not being ambiguous he's like this is the universe where you weren't born and george bailey's like what huh okay yeah sure buddy and when people don't <laughs> recognize like what's happening mary why won't you recognize me and he's like because this is a world where you weren't born and he's like i can't believe come on burton ernie you know me <laughs> it's it just... goes on for a long time and i'm like come on dude like where can this can this end or can we see something different or something like I think it's because this is the first time I've seen the movie, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if you've seen this before, you just kind of accept that this is this is that part of the movie. It's part of the Christmas Carol. Like it's it's something that you're ready to accept. It's part of the ritual. Yes, yes, it's part of the ritual. But I'm just like I know when is he gonna realize that this is not the real world? That this is an alternate universe? When he when he's finally like brought back to reality and he's happy to see his crummy little town and he's happy to go to jail i'm like i don't i don't know how that would work long term like as as part of like your therapy that hey if you didn't exist if you stopped living everything would be worse for everybody else so you have to keep on carrying that burden i feel like that would make you feel worse long term i mean well that's where i feel kind of divided because I feel divided as well because it's tough because that is a big burden to place, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially on yourself, right? It's it's a it's very selfless. Um, yes, but sometimes being selfless is not the best thing for you. He deserves a break. He deserves a yeah, vacation. Which he does eventually get at the end. He does get the break, right? Yes. It's not like the town abandons him. It's almost like right. a, you it's... you get what you put in and he gets a break. That's that's why that's where the sentimentality comes in. But if we're actually talking about this in real life, that's kind of a tough thing because I don't know how many people would have come through for George. And you know, for him to take the responsibility the burden of going to jail because of someone else's fuck up uh is it's kind of a tough pill to swallow if i'm being honest it's Mm -hmm. not it's maybe not the healthiest in terms of real life application i mean the the, i think some of the that's the word healthy yeah i think some of the lessons from this film are really are really great i think something that the movie does well is does kind of remind you that you are important maybe Mm -hmm. to varying degrees of importance right to some people yeah maybe not as much but to other people you are. And it's kind of like, I think some, I forgot where I got the quote, but someone said like, we are supporting characters in, in everyone else's story. Right. And Aww. just by being like, we're the main characters of our own stories, but we're the supporting characters in other people's story. And mm-hmm. to a certain degree, we are of importance. Um, yeah. And I think this- that's why I think the ending works so well is because it's, 
they're the people that he's made real connections with coming to help him out because he needs he needs help. Yes, he's... I think part of that like selfless like uh, that virtuous selfless character is somebody who doesn't ask for help. Yes, but in in the movie in the movie's end, he kind of learns that it's okay to ask for help. I guess it's more Mary asking for help. Yeah, but I I think that's like the good lesson there. Like if if it would have just ended right there. I would have been like, this movie sucks. Yeah. But because all those people show up and you have that history with every single character that shows up, giving them the money, it that's that that where it, that's where it gets me back in. That's where it like makes me emotional, right? I'm not like, I guess it is pretty sad seeing the stuff before, but this this part makes me like feel really happy. And yeah, the movie earns like the movie earns that sentimentality yes. because it beat again, like I said earlier, it beats the shit out of George Bailey constantly. And because the supporting characters are very well defined and they are a big part of his story growing up, when they do come through at the end, it is like a oh my god, thank God. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's cathartic. Very cathartic. And it does multiple things. I think it does a, you know, just doing good things. It's just a good thing overall, like helping people, having having like a moral responsibility to just help the people around you is a, is a good thing. I think applicable, absolutely to, applicable to different. Th- I mean, hell, we could apply that to what's been happening with the pandemic. You know, I mean, again, I don't want to I don't want to be a political channel. Right. And I, there's a <laughs> lot of things I don't understand. But look, man. You know, there's it just there's the common decency of just, you know, politely putting on a mask or if you know you're sick, not going the fuck out, you know, it's just simple things. And it almost seems like there's just been some common good that's been lost. That's the that's maybe the perception. I think the general consensus is masks have been working, you know, just go out and do this. But it seems like there's so much misinformation, so much so much um, distrust and so much so dis, so much distrust that the common good is gone and when you watch this movie it's almost like a nice reminder that no people are capable of good and if you do good things maybe good things may happen to you uh not yeah, if from not, the people that you do good too yeah it's not a certainty you shouldn't believe in god just because you think you will be rewarded with heaven you, you don't like you shouldn't be religious and only help people because you think that will get you into heaven. You should help people because it's the right thing to do. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what this movie gets at with that ending. It's there is a sense of community, of the common good, of uh of helping each other in need. And it's 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 really nice. It it is very nice to see. It it gets you emotional. It got me emotional. I was tearing up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. And the movie earns that because again, it's it is two. This movie's two hour and ten minutes, and then most of it is just George getting the shit knocked out of him, <laughs> and and him helping people. And the supporting characters in this film are really important, more so than in other films, right? Because it's it's the main character's journey, but it's also his relationship with all these different people, and not every. There isn't like one character that complete one supporting character that like stands out. It's a bunch of them and they're all like kind of important. You Like Gower. Gower isn't in the movie that much, but George helps him out by not giving mm-hmm. the, the medication away. The medication that was yeah. laced with poison because of because it was an accident. But when Gower he was distracted because he's like working as his son is as he finds out his son is dead. Yeah. And he's drinking alcohol to, you know 
just I mean, as sometimes people do when they're sad. Yeah, pro- probably shouldn't. Um, no, no, no. Like, like, like in real life, this guy probably should not be working as a pharmacist anymore. <laughs> I mean, um, I you know, it's it's tough to say. Um, you could almost say that he almost he's almost forced to work though, because he is forced to work because he lives in crummy. Um, I keep forgetting the name of the town. Bedford Falls. Bedford Falls. And there's an evil landlord out there who wants his rent on time, so he has to work. He's not afforded the liberty of being able to mourn his son properly because there is this. There is Potter is hanging over his head. Um, yeah. Say, if you if you're late, I will come after you and get you. And they're like vultures. Oh, for- Fucking that mm-hmm. one scene where that fuckface uh, with the glasses uh, when they open up Bailey the Bailey uh, area for houses. That mm-hmm. fuckface puts out the map and he's like, he's taking up your part of the land and it's none of my, it's no, it's no skin off my nose. But <laughs> if you don't do something about them, then George is going to win. It's people like that. They're like, you're a fucking vulture. And yeah. I, I mean, Gower lost his son. I mean, should he have been working? Hell no. No. Thank, thank God for George. Thank God for yeah. George. And Gower's in the film for, honestly, screen time, five minutes, six minutes. At most, mm-hmm. like six minutes on screen, probably even less than that. But you recognize him every part, every time he comes into the film. And at the very end, when he gives the money, you realize when oh, when you see him in that alternate universe, because he because po- oh, yeah. he actually did poison the kid, and how the awful the the town treats him. Mm-hmm. It's so heartbreaking. And when he comes in and actually donates to to George, it's incredible. And yeah, and it's it's that with like Bert and Ernie and Violet. And his brother, Harry, it's wonderful. All these characters have at least some sort of characteristic or trait, and you're able to follow them through the film. And at the very end, it makes it even more cathartic because you see them all come in into George's house, giving him money, helping him out. It's wonderful. This has a great supporting cast. Yes. There is something with uh, Mr. Gower that I didn't like. Yes. Um, But it is like... Something that people used to think was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because when when Mr. Gower finds out that George did not deliver the medication, uh, Mr. Gower slaps the shit out of out of George, a twelve year old boy. Come right away! Don't you know that boy's been sick? Hey, Ernie, my son here. You lazy loaf. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're gonna be. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. <laughs> Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the powder from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. I know you feel bad. <laughs> oh. Don't hurt my sewer again! Oh, no, Don't no, hurt no, my no. sewer again! Oh, God. <laughs> he hits him so hard his ears bleed. The ear that's already wounded. From saving his brother from drowning. He makes that ear bleed. And, you know, hitting kids is not okay. I know that some people think that it's spanking. It's fine. But mm, it's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Uh, at, and, at, the very, and, at the very least, it is not okay for someone else to hit your child. At the very I mean, least. Because I know, I know. At sp- the very least. Yeah. At the very, like, I, you, you, like spanking is one of those things that's just. I don't know how people feel about it. I know the way I like how i acted as a child 
I, I I'm surprised my parents did not beat the shit out of me even more. Like, thank God on them. But I feel like spanking is this thing that's like happened in the past, and you kind of learn how to parent from your parents, and that yes. gets passed down. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that's okay. It's not. It doesn't mean that it's a good thing. Um. Yeah. And it's just the way that people learned how to parent. It's it's this cycle that would hope I would hopefully like to see broken. Yeah. I hope spanking becomes a thing of the past and for future generations. Agreed. And yeah. even but, like at the very least, <laughs> no no other person should be able to hit your child. Uh especially not when they're making a movie. Because in real life the actor who played Mr. Gower actually hit this kid in real life and made his ears bleed in real life. That's real blood he's bleeding. That freaked me out. And I, I, I did when I watched the movie. I thought it was fake, and I was like, "Wow, that's, that's a, this is fucked up to think in retrospect." But I was like, "That's a really impressive detail because his ears already kind of fucked up, so having it bleed from there, I was like, oh, that's, that's a pretty, uh, uh, that's a good detail to have in order to show how hard Gower hit him.'" And then I read, "Oh no, that's real blood." I'm like, "Oh shit, god damn it, why, why?" Now it makes me feel even worse. I don't like seeing that scene anymore. Because that's a that's real yeah. blood from a real child's ear. Yeah, it a child's ear. Yeah, you know it's not like the 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 child actors. They're on set. They think I I think that you feel like um, I'm in making movies. Everybody's a professional. They're gonna they're gonna guide me the right way. They're gonna mm-hmm. take care of me. But as as we learned, this is often not the case for for child actors. Um. And oh, there, I have a quote from him, too. So this is a quote from the actor who played young George Bailey. Mm-hmm. He actually bloodied my ear. We rehearsed, and as the day progressed, the louder and more demanding HB, HB got. HB, I think, is the the actor. Uh, Thomas Mitchell H.B. Warner. Wait, no. H.B. Warner is the name of the actor, I believe. The more demanding HB got. We'd rest for a little while. I'd go back to school. They'd bring me out, and we'd spar a little more. And the article goes on, near the end of the day, cameras rolled. This time, Anderson recalls, Stewart stood next to Capra, both eyeing the big moment with great expectation. It took just minutes to capture one of the film's most disturbing scenes. That was Capra's way of getting it to the Academy Award point. My ear was beat up and my face was red, and I was in tears. I knew when I went through the door of that drugstore to go behind those pillboxes, I was going to get knocked on my butt, and it was an emotional high. I was a baby. I didn't know what we were building for. HB was perfect. He reached the crescendo. At the end, when it was all over, he was very lovable. He grabbed me and hugged me, and he really meant it. <sighs> I mean, look, I here's what I'll say. W- you know, when when you're a professional actor, I guess some people want to go a little bit more method. And like I've heard stories about actors being physically injured on set, but they asked for it. You know, if you're two consenting adults, if you're to you, you could do it i guess yeah maybe there's an insurance thing that you should look into if you get actually injured like i'm not saying it's an ideal situation that shouldn't that it should happen maybe it most likely shouldn't but at least if you're a grown you're a grown-up you can make your own decisions like that uh but yes. not a child being physically do you know what i mean like i don't even know he knew it was going to be emotional but i don't know if he was expecting an actual hit or to at least bleed from his ear Dude, I've been slapped so many times. I've never bled from my ear. So how fucking hard did this dude hit him to to cause blood to come out? 
Uh, what? I've never even heard of that actually happening. I thought it only happened mm-hmm. because he lost his hearing. He had an infection. It's maybe it's like he just recovered. So maybe it's still a little tender, a little swollen. Oh, okay, whatever. Fine. But like the actual actor didn't go through that. He could hear from both ears yeah. and he's bleeding. Jesus Christ, man. If I was his parent, I would have lost my shit. Like, it's. Yeah, but it was. It, it was like a thing that was like accepted, you know, well, it, 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 the kid, the guy does, or the actor doesn't even like hold a grudge against him. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, he hugged me afterwards. So it's OK. But um, I'm sure I'm sure it must have done a little something to him. Um, of course, I'm but sure. he's not going to say that. Yeah. When the, they're they're asking him. And I think this is 96 when this mm-hmm. article came out. Yeah. So yeah, ni- 90- December 15th, 1996. So 50 years later. 50 years after the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, it's not. And here's the thing. This is not just an isolated incident. I don't have other instances of. Well, there's one I can think of. But um, I mean, Hollywood, especially back then, took advantage of many people. Hollywood still takes advantage of many people. Wow. This movie is way more contemporary than I realized. (laughs) Now that I'm like (laughs) thinking about it. I mean, it's happening a little bit more with sexual harassment nowadays. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, all sorts of harassment is happening in Hollywood now. Uh, but I mean, Hollywood is infamous for how they treated stars back then. Young people. I mean, Shirley Temple, um, the hell that she went through. Right. I mean, look at all the all the people, what they went through to make Wizard of Oz. I mean, Hollywood has yeah, taken Judy advantage Garland. of people many, many for many, many decades. Um Mm-hmm. So I bet that like the studio or fan crapper must have been like, oh, he just bled from here. Oh, he'll he's fine. It's not a big deal. No worries about it. Which is yeah. like that's not how this is. That's not how this should go. That's not how this yeah. should be at all. Um, uh, t- to to be fair, I want, there's one more uh, thing that he says about his time on this set that I thought was really interesting. Uh, the actor who plays Uncle Billy, Thomas Mitchell, and the old man Potter, uh, the actor who plays him is Lionel Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how there was a day when Uncle Billy, Thomas Mitchell, was getting really upset with uh, this young actor. Uh, And it got to a point where uh, the actor who played Potter grabbed him, grabbed the Uncle Billy and was like, hey, don't talk to him like that. He's just a boy. Which I thought was was pretty cool. Well, it's it's funny because I wouldn't expect those two characters to do, do you know what I mean? Like I would expect yeah. Potter to be upset at the kid and uncle Billy to, to be like, Oh no, Hey, you're, you're okay. Like, don't do that to him again. It's funny that it was reversed, but yeah, yeah. like, like I don't, uncle Billy's what? Like 40, 50 fucking years old. Like, I don't know who the actor is. And it's like, I'm a trained professional. He's a fucking kid. I would yeah. you doing what he was when you were 12 years old. And even if you were, that doesn't mean you, you have to be an asshole. If, if George Bailey Jr. is being a sh- little shit on set and being an asshole, call his ass out. But it doesn't seem that doesn't seem like the case. I mean, a child maybe forgetting the line or messing up a line reading. Yeah, is that not so really hard sure to believe? What the issue was, but he he was being impatient with them enough for um, Drew Barrymore's great uncle to grab this guy by the arm and say, "Hey, he's just a boy." Yeah, well, it, okay, because he did that, it makes me to believe. That it was uncalled for. Right? Yeah. It makes me it makes me believe that this was totally uncalled for and that Uncle Billy, the actor, was just being an asshole. Or it yeah. just being very maybe he was having a bad day. I don't know. But 
you don't treat a child like that on set the way you you go about it very differently okay that's mm-hmm. that's non-negotiable yeah and the fact that hollywood seems to just kind of disregard that i mean even to this day it's like no you guys need to get called out on a bunch of shit and this is one of them mm-hmm. so it oh, it frustrates me cuz i i love this industry i love i love what it like what it does i love the people in it but fuck me man especially in the past few years with me too and all you just can't, you can't it's like i mean it's been me too and it's also been how crew members at the IATSE are, have been treated, what they've had to go through, the abuse from producers, and the low wages that they're being paid. And I'm just like, this is bullshit. You guys have been mm-hmm. around for 100 years. <laughs> like, this industry should know better. Exactly. Fucking rich people taking advantage of poor people all the fucking time. It's Pottersville all over again. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Yeah. That Very upsetting story. Um Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it did mess me up watching it a little bit, just seeing the blood come out of his ear. And it's not like a whole lot of blood, but it it's it's enough for you to notice it. And Yeah, and the, I think uh, young George Bailey has a line like, that's my hurt ear, sir. Yeah. And it, like, was that was was that improv there on, on that actor's part? That's incredible for that kid to. I that kid's a great actor. No, no, he was great. Um, um, but he he shouldn't have been hurt like that. I don't think no, they could have done it in a different way. You could have totally done that very differently. You you didn't need the actual slap. Oh, but he had to give a genuine reaction. He's an actor. That's what you you act, <laughs> right? You 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 act. You're not actually. If that's the case, then all these all these uh, actors should be able to do their own stunts and their own fight scene because that's act because it's the real thing. Nothing can replicate the real thing. Get the fuck out of here. There's a movie. This is an this is an this is a movie business. This is the imagination business. Don't fucking hit children. <sighs> yep. Yeah, like it's I don't know. That was very upsetting. I'm I'm kind of upset right now. <laughs> okay. Well just well, well just you know, it, it's it's not just it is, this. It's the fact that right. historically this has always happened and it's still happening to this day. Maybe not to the same extent, but it's still happening. Yeah, not not to the same extent and it's because i i think that we were able to like look back and see these things and and be recognize that they're bad and hey we shouldn't do that anymore and you learn from it it's why it's like you can't just look and see like oh well those were different times i think you have to yeah they were different times but it still wasn't okay and we shouldn't keep doing it because we used to do it like this one of the other things that hasn't aged well was annie the uh the black maid in the house yeah um I, okay i'll say this it's not great it's not the worst portrayal but that's still not like a good like thing yeah she has lines and she has she has funny lines but then there's one part where uh george's brother is his, is his name harry yes harry harry says uh, he's like chasing Annie around the the kitchen, mm-hmm. and he's like, "It's a full moon out, Annie. I think I love you." And then he slaps her ass as she's running away from him. Yeah, <laughs> that was. It's like I was like, Whoa. "What?" Yeah, and it's it's like too too full because like, what does he mean? It's a full moon out. Like, what's that supposed to mean? Yeah, and then he slaps her in the ass. I'm like, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and also just and also just 
a black, uh, just a black person being relegated to the maid or the nanny or the, you know, it, it's just that role association. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it, it's mm-hmm. happened. It happened for decades. Right. Um, another, like so many instances of classic Hollywood where the, where the, the only black person in the cast would be to serve the white lead like that that's that's all they were there for there was nothing to them else anything there was nothing else for them to do and i mean we we see this in classics i mean gone with the wind uh Mm -hmm. uh, that actress won an oscar for it uh fucking casablanca is another example play it again sam (laughs) this is and, and look man i'm not i'm not saying that you know uh like you you know there are there are instances where, yeah, you can have a person, a person from a minority group play a maid, or I'm not saying that that should be completely excluded. No, I'm not saying that, but you, you, you have to acknowledge the trend. You have to, you have to recognize the pattern that in these movies, there weren't black leads. The the black leads, the, the only black person was as a maid or a, or a gangster or a fucking, uh, a mammy or whatever, like that, that's what they did. That those were the only roles, and it's like, no, that can't. You can't. We can't do that nowadays. Like that's mm-hmm. unacceptable. Do you know what I mean? And if you're gonna put her in that position, at least give her maybe a, a character, more of a character to play, instead of just her coming in to say like three funny lines. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, we were talking about this earlier, but a lot of the characters have. Uh, the supporting characters are really great. The supporting cast is great. And everyone kind of, you know, like even Bert and Ernie, the the taxi driver and the cop, they don't really have big arcs, but they're still involved in George's story just enough, like just enough for their involvement. So when they do come at the end, it, it, it adds to the catharsis. Annie, um, she does have a role. She's like the, the, the caretaker, the maid of the house. But outside of that, she doesn't do too much. I mean, uh, she comes in the very beginning before they go to the high school dance. And then maybe there's a few scenes with her, maybe a few shots, but she comes in at the very end and she has a joke where I was saving this money for when I had a divorce, when I got a divorce, which is a funny line. But I mean, (laughs) you come on, you come on, you Gower, Bert, Ernie, Violet, you you clearly included them a little bit more. Uncle Bill. Yeah, you, you got to see what their lives were like when George wasn't there. What happened to Annie? We don't know where Annie's at. Just a just a little something more. Come on, like just put in the extra effort. You were you were there. You had it. And I'm not saying that they were racist or oh fuck oh, oh Annie. No, that's not the case. But I think Hollywood just subconsciously just saw, or maybe that is what racism is. But like I guess they just yeah, subconsciously. Yeah, it is, it is racism. <laughs> I was like, oh wait, one plus one is two. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just subconsciously, they might have liked Annie, but they were like, you know, this is your role to, this, this is the extent of your role, you know, mm. be happy. Yeah. And come on, I mean, that just can't, she's not going to fly. It doesn't, it's not going to fly today and it, it shouldn't have flown back then. It did, but we're out of it. That's just one of those things yeah. that we need to revisit or not uh, to rewatch, but not revisit. If that makes sense, we we need to watch it and learn from it, and thankfully, that is re re revisit but not repeat. You know what? There you go. Even better, re- <laughs> to revisit but not repeat. Um, mm-hmm. and thankfully, that is one side where 
we have made large strides, large improvements in. I mean, just diversity is something is a big push for a lot of studios now, which is great. Like, keep it up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that hasn't aged well. Again, though, I'm I will say this for some of these things that have not aged well, the movie's still great. It's still it's still yes, made me. I still like this movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> the things that I don't like about it are are not enough to like change how I feel at the end of the movie when everyone calls George Bailey the richest man in town. Yeah. You know, I still feel that part of it. Absolutely. And whether and even though we don't agree with some of the production things that they did, how they treated some sort of characters or even the morality of the ending, um, especially yeah. especially when it comes to suicide, because that's another thing that has changed in the past 75 years, how we think and talk about suicide. Um, yeah, before like go kill yourself would be like a a schoolyard taunt. Yes, you know it would be something you would say online to to somebody because they they died in a video game, you know. Yeah, but but now it's like you say that you might get some more gasps. Like, oh, did he just? You say that you can be charged for manslaughter now. I think someone did. I think there was a social yeah, media recently. I think someone on social media commented, go kill yourself or a girlfriend told her boyfriend to go kill himself. And I think he actually did. And I think she's facing jail time for it. Like you can't, you can't say that anymore. So when it comes to the, yeah, pop- and you shouldn't say that anymore. Yeah, you shouldn't. And you should have never said it before. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those things that just hasn't aged well. So, you know, when you're taking that moral, those, those, the way they used to think about suicide and kind of what, was uh what was a good moral a morally good lifestyle maybe that has an age as well to a certain extent you know i mean it's up to debate uh, yeah there's there's one thing else too th- th- with uh, mary's character that i thought was didn't age well or two things with her character i should say um one of them was when they're like walking around flirting after the dance she loses her robe and George takes a little bit too long of a time to get it back to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was fucked up. <laughs> that was pretty Look. fucked up. This is a very interesting situation. Please give me my robe. Hmm. Man doesn't get in a situation like this every day. I'd like to have my robe. Not in Bedford Falls, anyway. Ouch! Oh! Gesundheit. George little thought here. Give me my robe. I've read about things like this, but I never... Shame on you. I'm going to tell your mother on you. Well, my mother's way up in the corner. Yeah. It was fucked up. The way he played it, I was just laughing. I was like, because he's like, huh, this is a, what do I do here? And it's like, oh, my God, dude. Get the fuck out of here. You're being a dumbass. This is a red flag, red flag. <laughs> it's uh, and the fact that he just leaves her. I mean, granted, his father. He gives her back the robe, at least. He, no, no, no. He Well, he was always going to give her the robe, but he was he was being a jackass is what it is. Yeah. He was being a jackass. And I think because she was endeared to him, she didn't yeah. totally perceive it as a red flag. I I think it's, you know, the way you. If you're endeared to someone, maybe something that would normally annoy you, maybe wouldn't. And I mean, again, right. if you, let's just say you and I are walking down the street like this and I'm married. If you did that to me, <laughs> you, if you did the George Bailey thing, right? You took my robe and you wouldn't give it back because I'm endeared to you. I'd be like, that's a shitty move, but I, I don't dislike you. But if it was someone else, like a schoolyard bully from like fifth grade or something like that, 
God, I would, I'd put that man on my hit list. I'd be like, once you give me this robe, like no one on the planet's going to find you, motherfucker. It's, I would say it's, it's uh, not as bad as when a Maverick follows Charlie into the bathroom. Ooh, yeah, no, that's still. But it is, it's, it's close to it, but it's yeah. not, not as bad. I think, well, I think the reason I think this is, uh, less worse just which is not a, not the right way of saying it but it's because she is endeared to him she i mean she yes she wants it she wants it dude she has fu- please fuck me eyes <laughs> the, the way she will just not stop staring at him like she, she i mean the whole impression is too that she's loved him since she was a child right yes um, she whispers it into his bad ear exactly right like she wants to marry this man i mean that that she says that when she breaks the window in the old house, we, later on she reveals that she wanted to be with him. So clearly she loves him. The thing about mm-hmm. Maverick in Top Gun is that Charlie is still not like cool, cool with him. Do you know what I mean? Like that's still very early right. on in the film. And there there are very strict professional lines that cannot be crossed that the film does cross eventually <laughs> but but even then it's like you are cross, cross, crossing a social boundary that is unacceptable uh and you are crossing a professional line especially with someone who isn't as endeared to you right because maybe some people could say well yeah, they had they met that night in top gun exactly in- like <laughs> some people could say well you know charlie was in love with him and she wished that they'd be together it's like no, that's not the case at all. Like, even if that was the case, that'd be creepy. But it is way creepier what actually happens in the film. Yeah. At least in this one, uh, George and Mary have known each other for a long time. And the whole town is like, will they or won't they? Get on with it. Yeah, Come on. Exactly. Get married. Exactly. The old guy on the, on, the, on the porch is like, what are you kids doing? The youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. <laughs> Am I talking too much? Yes. Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Hey. Uh, which is a funny scene. And and that's why it doesn't play as creepily. Is it a jackass move? Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's not the... It's definitely not... As bad as Top Gun. That scene yeah. in Top Gun still like, oh shit, Tom, Tom, man, you gotta be careful, man. You can't be doing that. You, yeah, you'll you'll um, lose your wings, or or probably not. But then you should probably not because of what happened. Exactly. Well, that's <laughs> what I was gonna the, say. Like, you probably wouldn't lose your wings, but you you should though. Yeah. Um, the the other thing about Mary though is that her whole purpose in the movie is to love George and only George. Yes. Right, because when he goes into that alternate reality, she never married anybody. Yeah, and she's she's a sad old maid who works at a library, which is portrayed like the worst thing. Yeah, that a I was woman gonna say like do uh, is like not marry. She yeah, like being a librarian that just like helps out. Like you're you're helping a library out, which is already great. And like oh, she's in spinsterhood. It's like it's not that bad. Like, and she might be a swinger for all we know. Like. I, I don't yeah there's nothing wrong with her lifestyle at the very end i don't understand why it was i mean again going back to what we it's were saying because of that like old morality yes that that, that maybe just hasn't aged well that that moral yeah. goodness of what they thought was good back then maybe it hasn't mm-hmm. aged well i thought that was really funny i mean it that portrayal does um 
isn't great, especially the assumption that without George Bailey, she would not accomplish or do anything with her life or that she wouldn't be able to find a man or that she wouldn't be happy be, uh, being single, you know? And yeah. something that this movie does actually kind of allude to, but not all the way through is George Bailey has a hard life, right? No one is saying that he doesn't. He has to constantly make sacrifices um, in, in for the town of Bedford Falls. But Marie has to make sacrifices too, because being being mm-hmm. married to someone who fi- who almost has a, who thinks that he has a moral obligation to do right, the right by this town, that means that she has a moral oblig like that she she almost has like a moral like she has a responsibility to take care of everything else that he cannot because he just doesn't have time to you know what I mean, and I could easily see a version of this movie existing from Mary's point of view. Mm-hmm kind of the responsibilities and and what what someone must go through when they're married to someone who is of great importance let's just put it like that like a you know a politician a social worker someone who is consumed by their job um yeah but but not because they're greedy or not because they're obsessed or anything but because they feel like there's a moral goodness behind what they're doing and an obligation and that ob- if Like this immense pressure that if they don't do it, if they take a second for themselves, they take a second for themselves to see the world or to go on on a honeymoon or to take up a better job that everything that they had worked for will fall apart. Yes. And being married to someone like that can be incredibly stressful. That could be so draining. And imagine, imagine, think about the sacrifices that George had to make. A lot of sacrifices. Mary had to make just as many sacrifices mm-hmm. and she had to be there with him. And I mean, she look, George snaps justifiably. So at the end now, should he yeah. have yelled at his kids and stuff? Probably not the healthiest thing, the healthiest thing to do. But when you've lost as much shit as he did and that frustration builds up, he can't help but do it. And Mary has to not, I'm not saying she has to, but she deals with it very well. And that's kind of like, maybe an aspect of when you're married to someone who feels like they have obligations to something else, something greater than themselves or to the family. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. that's, that's tough. That's really tough. And you know, the Mary's character, Mary saves George, you know, she gets without Mary, George would have gone to jail, but she knew kind of what he meant to the city, everything that he had managed to do, all the goodness that he put out there and she managed to return it. Without Mary, he would have been in jail and the building alone would have probably gone under. She saved George's life. Yeah. And it all happens off screen. Yeah. While George is off with his angel. I think someone could take a very interesting approach and kind of make a movie on Mary's story alone. And I don't think she gets enough love. Yeah. And again, she saves the man's life. Clarence, I mean, look, Clarence, sure convince george not to kill himself by by trying to kill himself and almost (laughs) killing george (laughs) well you know he uses angel abilities or whatever that's a technicality but here's the thing clarence prevents george from killing himself but mary saves his life yes and hey man uh, shout out to mary which is 100 she's with it And, and 
what was even great too was when the recession hit, the Great Depression hit, people are pulling their money out of the building and loan. And they're going to go sell their sell um sell their money or convert their money to for Potter for half half of its worth. Uh, George and George and Mary have a ton of money, two thousand dollars saved up for their honeymoon. Which hey, like why shouldn't they? Just got married. They could go on a sweet trip. He's always wanted to go out. He's wanted to explore the country or the the world. And you know she sacrifices that money and gives it to the city to the community. It's her idea mm-hmm. to do that. That was a big sacrifice for her, though, you know, for him. Yeah. And, you know, I um, I don't know if people really appreciated Mary's role back then. Maybe, you know, because it is James Stewart. It's a James Stewart film. Um, George Bailey is the main character. But that's something that I noticed. Um, she she's a she's great. Uh, I think she's a wonderful character. She's a real hero of, of the movie, not Clarence getting it. Who cares if Clarence gets his wings? <laughs> hey Clarence look the fact that he got his wings hey good on you great um but bare minimum bare minimum <laughs> but, no but I uh Mary and George because they are a power couple they are working together in unison maybe not a hundred percent of the time but they 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 do a good job together and so she needs to be acknowledged as well um yeah man yeah. it's um no it's a, it's a wonderful film <laughs> it's a wonderful film it's a wonderful film it's great i totally recommend it such a great viewing yeah and i i will say though something that hasn't aged well in terms of technical aspects you gotta talk about mm-hmm. tech a little bit this movie was nominated for five oscars one of those was uh best editing i think the editing hasn't aged that well <laughs> there are yeah towards the end i feel like oh man they were really like pressed for time to finish this movie because there'll there'll be edits within the same shot. It's kind of like a like a YouTube video, like a vlog. How it kind of just skips ahead. Yeah. When they started making sense again, kind of like what we do when we edit the podcast. Yeah, but but the thing but the thing is like it's done to conceal the cut. Like it, like it's so trying to be like the exact same shot, but it just throws everything off, and it it's very abrupt. And I know, especially when you're used to watching movies now that are very, that are edited to be as as seamless as possible, or maybe that's, maybe that's the goal for a lot of, a lot of Hollywood blockbuster films. But this was very jarring. I was like, oh man, some of the editing in this is like, you either didn't have enough coverage or, you know what I mean? Like the cuts aren't the issue. It's the, it's the fact that they're like trying to get the same shot from the same angle, just slightly wider and they're just cutting out. And it's like, this is. It you, you know it almost makes you feel like you're doing a double take. Like, wait, hold on, something's wrong here, and it's so yeah. abrupt, and it happens all throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, how, what? Like, maybe this is just common practice for films from '46. But like, I remember watching it's a um the film that came out the same another movie that came out the same year, the best years of our lives. I remember I saw oh, the okay. best years of our lives back in high school. And I don't even remember it being this jarring. I mean, I might have not noticed, but I definitely don't remember it being some of the cuts being this jarring. I was like, whoa, watching It's a Wonderful Life. I was like, whoa, this is really like kind of off. Um, Yeah, it was certain aspects of it just have not aged well in terms of editing. But something that has aged well and it actually won a technical award for this, which I think is totally warranted was the creation of 
the snowball or the snow the snowing look i, I don't know how to yeah it's like i can't talk today jesus christ it's okay we're only doing a podcast <laughs> <laughs> then you're like what the fuck you edit it all out It'd be perfect yeah um they actually created a new type of snow for this movie which is interesting because before this they had actually used painted cornflakes to simulate snow right so you'd have people on top and throwing cornflakes the cereal right painted cornflakes and that's mm-hmm. how it would that's how you'd get the effect but obviously that's really loud the cornflakes all those hundreds and thousands <laughs> of course cornflakes hitting the floor obviously makes a lot of sound so actors would have to redub their voices their lines imagine how jesus Im- god at that point it's like man fuck the snow let's just set this Let's just have <laughs> fucking let it be after the snowing, after snowing, you know, I, fuck. This. I believe a producer actually said that, like, why can't we just do this in the spring? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, fuck. No, and grant. But here's the thing, though. The snow adds a lot of atmosphere to this movie. Like, oh, yeah. Especially at the very end. Snow is almost like crucial because mm-hmm. it's it's the holiday season everyone's happy and shit. And like George is like, I'm about to go to jail. I'm about to lose everything. And it, 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 that contrast, it, it, it works so well. It helps you like get into his state of mind. Well, what's really interesting is when you think about seasons and weather and stuff, I mean, it could all mean different. I mean, it, you, like rain, for example, rain could be really sad, but it could also be mm-hmm. very romantic. I mean, look at the notebook for, for fuck's sake. Like, the office. Oh, the office. Exactly. Rain can it can accentuate something very sweet and tender like that. Same with snow. Snow could be very beautiful, um, very romantic or very sweet. But in George's situation, the snow is isolating. It's blinding. It's all consuming. It's fucking cold. You know, I mean, when he yeah. jumps in the water, and he gets out. He's freezing. Um, yeah, this, that scene had to have been in snow. Yeah, I can't see it any other way. And I'm the guy that just said, man, fuck the snow. Let's not go through all that hassle in another <laughs> movie. But in this one, you mm-hmm. had to have gone through it. So what they did, they actually came up with this new artificial snow. They um, said that they opted to mix fomite, which is the stuff in fire extinguishers, with sugar and water to create a less noisy option. So now with this new snow mix, you're able to actually throw it on set, spread it around, and you can capture the actor's actual voices without having to redub them. Hey, it's a double whammy. It's perfect. You get an authentic snow, but you don't get the hassle of the of cornflakes hitting the floor. Perfect. That's awesome. And, it, and they won an Oscar for it. And dude, it looks incredible. That whole ending, yeah. that whole ending, if they had to redub it, might have not been as great. You might have you might have compromised James Stewart's performance, especially when he's at the lowest. You can't do yeah. that. You can't do that. But the snow, this new mix, really accentuates the the beauty and the fear that George is, that the scene entails. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful. Totally. That has aged well. Um, also, I, I learned uh, that they filmed this during the summertime, during a, a heat wave. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're acting, they have these like huge winter coats. So there's a point where George is about to jump. And he's sweating profusely. Yeah. And for me, I thought he's acting. He's doing really good job acting. He's sweating. He's about to kill himself. Oh, my God. This is intense. But in reality, the dude's sweating because it's super hot outside. 
<laughs> super hot and he's wearing a giant coat you know it is wonderful circumstances <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry the actors had to deal with that heat wave the cast and crew had to deal with that heat wave but a it translate look for most of the movie i couldn't tell that it was a heat wave and at the very end no idea and at the very end you're right he is sweating but i don't perceive it as it being from heat i perceive it from this dude's fucking tripping balls he's yeah. he's don't give this man a gun mm-hmm. it was no it was it was incredible and so, some of those aspects so the editing maybe not has aged well but man those some of those effects are incredible and the set too of bedford falls I think it was like three blocks. They constructed the main street, which we go back to uh, over throughout mm-hmm. the film. Actually constructed. There's a lot of life to it. It's very nice and detailed. Feels like a real town. Yeah. I, I, when watching it, I didn't know it was all the set. It's crazy. Yeah. And like they strategically put the camera to make it seem longer than what it is. They'll like hide things. That's the thing with sets. I mean, it's, you know, it's tough because you really can only do so much you know unless you're actually filming on their location but they shot this in culver city and in encino uh bedford falls is an east coast city or based off of off of some city in new york um Mm -hmm. you gotta work around and they did a great job i there are no the the seams are very well hidden yes so uh, in congratulations congratulations to all of them because 75 years later, the movie still holds up on a lot of regards. Even mm-hmm. editing is not 100%, but, you know, the performances are there. It's it's all oh, yeah. there. It doesn't, it's not like I'm going to take points off the movie because mm, this could have been edited better. Mm. Exactly. You know, you notice it. <laughs> it's you notice it. It might take some people out. But goddamn, I'm by the end of the movie, I am still tearing up. Um, yeah so it it works it works it works i mean again you you might have a technically flawless film but it might not pull shit out of you in terms of emotions but you could have something flawed exactly. slightly yeah and still work really well yeah no no movie is, is like perfect yeah. you know you could say could be better about any movie which makes it a useless point of criticism exactly (laughs) i mean we talked about this with matrix that one cgi door who gives a shit about that door i mean yeah when 99.9 percent of the film is rock solid you don't give a fuck about a cgi door same with this Mm -hmm. yeah overall great film totally recommend it if you've never seen it just give it a watch man two hours and ten minutes it's worth it this is in this is an american classic this is essential viewing just like we said with matrix and lord of rings this is an essential viewing. This isn't one of those, well, if you like this, you'll like this. Like, no, just watch this. This is like the Huckleberry Finn of movies. Like, just, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> read it. Huckleberry Finn of movies. You, you gotta read oh it. Or you God. gotta watch this. That's that's the other thing. That's that's what Clarence, he's reading Tom Sawyer. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you should read the new book <laughs> Mark Twain is is writing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, There's... Did, do you want to talk about how this movie was received? Yes, that's a big interesting point. All right, so we mentioned it in the first part that this movie didn't, it was a financial flop. Uh, it didn't make a lot of money and it ended up um, ending Frank Capra's uh, career as a Hollywood director. Like he still directed other stuff afterwards, but none, he, ne- before World War II, he directed. Uh, a few movies that are like classics of like the golden age of cinema but after this movie flopped he didn't really get to do much of that anymore 
In fact, the independent uh, film company that he helped start up, uh, I believe it was called Liberty Films, had to shut down. Uh, it had to like sell it to Paramount. I believe Paramount bought, bought it. And then in 1951, they closed it for good. Isn't that, isn't that kind of ironic that like this independent film uh, production company was sold to a major production company and closed down? Yeah, is what we were talking about earlier. And it's a shame, too, because of all the films, this is the one that, I, I mean, it's a shame. It really is a shame. It's awful to think, but I mean, that tends to happen. You'll, you'll have your yeah. your Spider-Mans, your Matrixes that blow up box offices, you know, go through the roof, and justifiably so. But then you'll have your, your films like It's a Wonderful Life, Citizen Kane, Blade Runner. That'll just be financial flops. Just people won't yeah. go watch it. Uh, there was a book written about this movie, and the author kind of summarized that the reason this movie didn't do very well is because it came out after the war, mm-hmm. and people didn't want to see uh, this guy's sad life afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, like we said earlier, this movie it beats George up for most of it. And he'll get like little moments of like happiness and then he has to commit to saving Bedford Falls and put his dreams on hold again. Mm-hmm. And he never gets to travel. He never gets to travel. No. The assumption is that he doesn't leave Bedford Falls. And no, he, he's stuck. He he might go on a vacation every once in a while, maybe, with the money they gave him, but he won't be able to travel as much as he did. He has to sacrifice that. No. Mm-hmm. That is that is depressing. I mean, it's kind of like what we're going through today. I mean, I hear a lot of people. There's actually uh, uh, a coworker of mine who was like, you know, I don't want to go watch movies to be depressed and sad. I want to go to have fun. And to a certain extent, I kind of get what she's talking about. Like, especially after mm-hmm. the years, a few years that we've had. I mean, that's why people are going to Spider-Man. You know, that's why people go to Marvel movies. Marvel sells that escapist uh, uh, adventure throw ride very well even if it's not an amazing movie you are engulfed in what they're delivering and you know people i guess don't want to see a movie about princess diana and the awful weekend that she had or a movie about women being prostituted on a on a trip through florida you know referencing zola and spencer um which are great. Oh, Zola. Zola, yeah, which you guys should definitely watch. Zola and Spencer are great. I, they are kind of sad, <laughs> but they are fantastic films. Um, but yeah, I and mean. This one too. This one is sad, but like I, I think the ending is, you know, like because we, we all have people in our lives that love us. We might not know about it. And this movie kind of like reminds you that there yes. are people that do love you. I think that's one of the best lessons is that you are loved. And I think people mm-hmm. every once in a while need that reminder. Especially when you're going through some hard shit, man. It's a shame. You wish you wish every good movie can succeed, but the reality is yeah. the film industry is not like that. It is not chemistry. You can't add two oxygens and get a hydrogen, two two <laughs> hydrogens to an oxygen and get you know. This so I'm not a chemistry major, but you're not a scientist. No, no, I'm something <laughs> of a scientist myself. You're not something of a scientist. <laughs> But, you know, it's not, it's always going to happen. And this is not the, it's a wonderful life. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Thankfully, it has outlived most of the films that have come out in that time period. I mean, it's getting a 75th anniversary collection. I mean, come on. And because of how the film was just 
put on TV and people watched TV and they were able to appreciate this movie. Which sometimes these great movies, we don't know that they're great when they come out. When this even like critically, this movie wasn't super well received by critics. They thought it was too sentimental. Some people thought it was a commie, a commie movie. Kind of to 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 kind of book in, kind of bookend, even more, or just to talk, add to another aspect of kind of connecting this movie to real life. But another thing mm-hmm. is, um, you know, with this discussion about movies and kind of way where they should be in the theater, streaming at home, on our phones, yada yada yada. Every filmmaker has kind of chimed in on that. What's really interesting is James Gunn actually, I believe it was James Gunn actually said that sometimes uh, your first impression of the movie isn't in the theater. It's most likely at home Mm -hmm. when you're watching it on the TV. And he said that that's kind of where some movies grow in you. Like that's kind of where most movies kind of take their power is once they're at home being watched on your television and you're rewatching it and rewatching it and rewatching. I thought that was a really interesting take. Because now we, you have a lot of filmmakers saying, oh, it's the theatrical experience. You need to watch that movie in theaters for, in order to get what the film is delivering. I agree to that to a certain extent. Rewatching The Matrix in theaters was a mind-blowing experience. But I mean, It's a Wonderful Life proves what James Gunn is saying to a fucking T. It's a Wonderful Life. People, Most people didn't see it in theaters. The only reason this yeah. film lives on is because it played on, on TV, television. Where people saw it every year. They had the ability to watch it whenever it came. Or they had the ability to watch it in their homes every year consistently. It became part of a family tradition for people. A ritual. You can't have the movie theater experience be almost a ritual. Going to the theaters might be a ritual. that, But the movie you're watching there, it's it can't become a ritual. Watching Speed Racer in theater. Speed Racer is a perfect example. Another financial flop. We didn't. I, I never saw it in theaters. You you did, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I yeah, did. Yeah, you did. We... But I have as close an attachment to you. Maybe yours is a little is better because you saw it in theaters. I don't. I've only seen that on TV and on my laptop and in my phone. But I still grew. I'm so close to that movie, and that's kind mm-hmm. of what James Gunn was, was was referring to. You know, when debating about theatrical and at home and which is more important, which is. The most important one is wherever you're watching it the most. And for a lot of, and that's kind of what made It's a Wonderful Life so successful in the long term. It wasn't the theatrical experience. It was the holiday at home experience that made it what it is. And that was just an angle that I kind of thought about, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. when people like theatrical experience is the only experience that counts. No. Not the only. It's important. Yeah, not true. It's important. It can be important. It, can it be- is important. I, I think the most important thing, though, is to, like, let yourself, like, the, the in when you watch a movie in theaters, there's, like, a unwritten rule that you're not supposed to talk. You're supposed to sit there and, and watch the movie, you know? And I think that the home experience nowadays, you can pause the movie. You can go to the bathroom. You can be on your phone. All these things take you out of that experience that was cut and made to be a two hour, 10 minute experience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I I think when this movie was on TV, you couldn't really do all that stuff. There were commercial breaks and stuff. But for the most part, I feel like you were watching the movie as a family and you would like go and to the bathroom during commercial breaks or whatever. But you're like still in that that window. 
you know, so I, I think that's the most important thing when watching a movie is to just let yourself be taken by it for however long it is without, you know, look, you know, like without taking yourself out of it, because if you take yourself out of it, I think you lose that for this movie, you lose that ending and why it's so emotional, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You let letting your, letting the artists and the craftsmen take you through what they're doing and not every film's going to do a good job and that's okay. That means that maybe the film didn't work for you, but when you film a film yeah. kind of tugging at your hearts, go with it, see where it takes you. Think of, let it, you know, if a movie makes you sad, be there with that sadness and think about why it's sad mm -hmm. and kind of how it applies to your life and stuff. And why did it resonate with you? That's a powerful feeling. Don't, I get it. Movies are a great form of escapism, but that's not why the only reason they're there for. They are, you know, they're great for one, a lot of different things. So yeah, I agree hundred percent. That's a great sentiment. Um, I actually found James Gunn's quote. He's talking about, he's referring to the Suicide Squad, right? He said, mm -hmm. the Suicide Squad is made to be seen first and foremost on a big screen. I think it's going to work just fine on television. Listen, movies don't last because they're seen on the big screen. Movies last because they're seen on television. Jaws isn't still a classic because people are watching it in theaters. I've never seen Jaws <laughs> in a movie theater. It's one of my favorite movies. And I think he's right. I didn't watch Children of Men in theaters for the longest time until 2013 when Gravity came out. And now I've only seen Children of Men one time in theaters, but it's still one of my favorite films to this day. That's literally what he's saying is proven by It's a mm -hmm. Wonderful Life to a T. Absolutely. So just another way that It's a Wonderful Life is relevant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about our favorite quotes? Okay. So there was... There's a quote that made me laugh out loud, really loud. Um, it's when George is talking to Clarence for the first time when he's like have not really believing that he's an angel. He's at, he's asking Clarence if he has any money. And Clarence says, no, we don't use money in heaven. And George Bailey says, oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at that line, too. That was funny. Uh, the way he throws in bub there like he's wolverine yeah. i love it it's a great quote it's funny it is a great quote because yeah all, learning about you know revisiting your trauma knowing your worth is is really important but at the end of the day we do have to pay rent yes. you know so the, 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 you know we yeah. we can we can enjoy the sentimentality from films of a bygone era but we need to keep our feet planted on the floor and realize that we are not in the same world that they are um 100 mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes is kind of the one i don't even remember where i read that quote about we're supporting characters and everyone else's story um mm -hmm. but this kind of this line from clarence kind of has um has that same sentiment he says strange isn't it each man's life touches so many other lives when he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? And I just think that's wonderful. Like, I think it, it, it kind of puts in perspective, like, we have an influence on other people's lives that we aren't fully aware of. And in circumstances, mm -hmm. it could be awful. But if you've been a good person and not a dick, it's probably positive. So, I don't know. I really like that. Ties into the very end. Um, when he when you see all the people that he's, that he's touched and had you know like he's helped out and them coming back it's great 
how how am I gonna hate that? You know, how can anyone hate that? Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good relevant message, I think. Absolutely, it's no good to be in your own head all the time. No, 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 absolutely not. And it's okay to be upset and sad sometimes. Um, but if you have someone like Mary, don't push them away. And um, you know, if you and again, maybe um, maybe if you if you do have thoughts about suicide please look out for someone there are hotlines um there should we put a hotline i guess since we're talking about suicide yeah well there's the national suicide prevention lifeline the number is okay uh 800-273-8255 that's 800-273-8255 uh just putting that out there you know, it is, it is the holiday seasons. Uh, there are some people that do have seasonal depression. There are mm-hmm. people going through a lot of awful things. Pandemic is still happening. A lot of awful things. Tornado just tore through the Midwest, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Just be, you know, just let's be aware of that. And if you have the blues, please look out for someone. You know, and maybe or there's a, you know, go seek out someone. And even if you're feeling not suicidal, but a little down, maybe find that favorite movie of yours. You know, I, I know that's a Band-Aid on a on, you know, and it shouldn't substitute real help. But hey, you know, maybe you just need to pick me up. I'm not saying about this. If you're feeling suicidal, please find someone. That's, that's not what I'm yeah I'm not saying a movie's going to going to help you with that. But um. But yeah, if you're feeling some seasonal depression, please go talk to someone, find a friend. Um, please, there is there is help out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good that you had that number and shared that with everybody, George. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. <laughs> feels like feels we have like well, it's not a year actually, but I mean, yeah, it's nice to at the end of the year kind of reminisce on what we've done in the year, and I think we've done a lot of good with this podcast. I'm very happy with what we've. Done. I think so too. I love that that people enjoy it and are sharing it on their social medias and reaching out and asking to be in the Discord and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Feels great. A- absolutely. And look, we love talking about movies and they're great. And if we can even offer just a little bit of, of an insight into it, maybe it's something that maybe people will like, then it's worth it. Um mm-hmm. and next week we will not be talking about one movie. We'll actually be talking about kind of a year in review. A yearly retrospective. A yearly retrospective of everything we just saw in the theaters. Yeah, we want to... Or saw that came out... At, you know, in theaters, yes. Um, well, I'm in, thinking... In theaters or on, de- on demand. I think 2021 releases. Yes. That would be the better way to say that. Yeah. I, I mean, I know I'm going to watch the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. Kind of give a quick thoughts on those. But I do want to talk about. Oh, did you did you want to go through twenty twenty one releases or just anything we saw? No, no, no. I want to go through twenty twenty one, but just real quickly okay. because we just did the Lord of the Rings episode. I just kind of want to give my quick thoughts on it since you and Becky did. Just mm-hmm. general, like which one I prefer. Just like, okay, real quick. But I do want to focus on films that we saw that were released in twenty twenty one, um, and kind of that the that theater experience, um. Mm-hmm. was is it as good as we remembered it was it as good is it still good what what's up and just talk about movies in general uh that we saw i know i'm gonna be talking about malignant dune oh yeah we're gonna be talking about spider-man 
We're going to be talking about Spider-Man. Oh, we've got... We should do like a, a no-spoiler um, 2021. Well, uh, uh, I think we can do it. Oh, fuck. I... Because those movies just came out, and I don't want people to, to not listen to the episode. Because oh man, these movies just came out. Yeah, Spoilers. yeah, you're you're right. This is gonna be tough. This is gonna be a lot of editing because I'm gonna spoil so much. <laughs> but um, and we're also gonna talk about Matrix. Just came out yesterday, mm-hmm. or as of the time of recording. I haven't seen it yet, but I will on Chris. I'll be my Christmas present. <laughs> So we're going to talk about all of our, those movies, just general thoughts, how we felt about them, talk about the, the theater experience, kind of what theaters we've been mm-hmm. to, yearly, just 2021 re- uh, review. So Yeah, it'll be a shorter episode, I think. Well, we'll try to make it shorter. We'll try. We'll see how, how long it actually goes. But <laughs> so excited about that. Um, so thank you, guys. Appreciate you listening to this episode. Highly recommend. It's a wonderful life. Um. Austin, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at retrograde underscore pod. Retrograde, one word, underscore pod. Uh, We are also on Facebook as Retrograde Podcast. We are also on YouTube as Retrograde Podcast. Retrograde is two words on those platforms. We also have a Discord but you'll have to DM us on Instagram or Twitter to get the link. Because, um, you know, there's some bots on Discord that I don't want to <laughs> be in the channel. So Fair enough. <laughs> only, only real people. <laughs> Unless you're like a sentient android. I guess you're, you're, you can be in if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's all we have for this episode. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you. In the next one. Bye bye.